Welcome to the Granary Church Mums and Kids podcast, where we want to have meaningful conversations around parenting, health, education, and creative ways to survive lockdown. We'll be blessed with many special guests, and you'll be lovingly hosted by Mel Atia. Mel is a part of the Granary Church's pastoral staff, has worked as a physiotherapist, and is an amazing mother of four. We pray this resource blesses and encourages you at this time. Welcome to the Granary Mums and Kids podcast. Today we're hearing from Professor John Attia, who is a... a professor of Medicine and Clinical oh, Epidemiology. Right. Today we are hearing from John Attia, Professor of Medicine and Clinical Epidemiology at the University of Newcastle. Happens to be married to a great gal called Mel. Um, I'm Mel, welcome to the podcast. We're talking about COVID today and um, sort of dissecting a bit about how Australia's gone and where we're heading. So, John, Australia is a bit of a success story internationally compared to other countries. We flattened the curve and we've had a reasonably low death rate. And now we are seeing loosening of our lockdown measures. So when do you think, realistically, we are going to have a treatment or a vaccine so we really can go back to normal? Yeah, I think it's going to be a while before we see a vaccine. Vaccines traditionally take uh, many, many years to um, be developed and to uh, be tested in clinical trials. Uh, even with all the efforts that are being made and the international collaborations, I think the fastest we could see a vaccine is 18 months to two years. Um, I think whether we can go back to normal even without a vaccine depends really on how good the control is and how tight the restrictions are. Um, I think the um, hope at the beginning was that most of this virus was coming from overseas and that we weren't seeing a lot of community transmission. So the hope was that as long as we could keep our borders closed, we could get on top of the infection and, and pretty well stop it. Um, and that we would then be able to relax the restrictions internally within the country, and that as long as we kept our borders closed to international travel, that we could keep it under control. And perhaps that will still happen. I guess what the evidence that goes against that is that um, places like Japan and Singapore did the same thing. Uh, they kept their borders closed, but when they started to relax their restrictions, they saw their numbers climb. And uh, although they were doing much better than we were at the beginning, as soon as they released their restrictions, their numbers are now much higher than ours. So I think it's wise for the government to do this in steps. Because the incubation period um, is uh, two weeks or so, it's, it would be good for the government to um, take, take this in steps of probably three weeks. So relax the restriction, wait three weeks, see if there's a jump in the cases or not, and then do the next bit. Uh, otherwise, you don't know if you're releasing the restrictions uh, too quickly. Mm. And people talk about, well, it won't really matter if a few people get sick because we're going to get herd immunity. Is herd immunity going to help us here? So herd immunity actually refers to a concept that comes about because of vaccination. So you can get herd immunity two ways. You get enough people infected in the population to develop natural antibodies, or you get enough people immunized to develop antibodies. Um, the problem with herd immunity without vaccination is that it means you let the infection run through the community, 
and you get all the deaths of people who would otherwise not, not survive. If, if you're happy to do that and kill off your population so that people get antibodies, then things will slow down, but you will have done that at a price. Mm. Um, if you wait until you get the vaccine, then obviously people who would otherwise have died are able to survive. Mm. Um, and it's also about a tipping point. Um, you know, you reach a point where there's enough infections that the spread starts to go right through the community, and that's what you want to avoid again. Mm. Mm. Okay, so school's back, which is very exciting for all the kids and actually for many of the parents too. However, every single time I've seen a news interview, and in fact even just in social media, a lot of parents are still a little bit anxious they feel like things are moving a little bit quicker than what they're comfortable with but the health authorities are saying schools low risk so what has been the story with kids and COVID? Yeah it's interesting when you look at the evidence from China from Italy from Spain uh, even from the US we, we normally think that kids are the ones who carry infections. Germy uh, little things <laughs> yeah but in these cases, it, most of the cases where the kids have been infected, it's been through household uh, and, and being infected from adults. There haven't really been clusters of infection traced through schools, for example, right. which is a bit counterintuitive, but that's the evidence. This virus does behave differently from what we are normally used to. So I would say um, it, it's safe to go back, but then let's just monitor um, with schools going back now, we can see in two weeks, three weeks, what the effect is and whether the numbers are climbing up um, and, and go from there. So certainly it's hard to predict because, for example, Singapore kept their schools open during their outbreak and they were still able to control things. Um, so they, they got their best control early on when their schools were still open. Uh, when they relaxed the restrictions, it was the adults that actually led to the increase in numbers. Mm. However, in France, when they opened their schools, they saw the numbers peak again. So the evidence is inconsistent. But what is clear is that kids um, tend not to get it. Even if they do get it, it's much milder. And we just are not seeing clusters of infections around schools. Interesting. Yeah. So... When I watch the news, which I love to do, um, when you look at the footage from every other country in the world, you know, there's, there's some countries where you're not even allowed outside into shops or public places without a face mask. Um, why aren't we making face masks here a thing like other countries are? So this is where I think face masks are being driven more by fear than by science. So the principle in medicine is you always put the face mask on the person that is sick. When somebody is sick and symptomatic, that's when they are shedding the most virus. Uh, in their saliva, when they speak, and uh, when they sneeze, when they cough. And so the mask is to stop that, to catch that virus and stop it being spread to others. There have been studies done where if you put the masks on the rest of the household, rather than the person that is sick, to see whether they are protected, the masks do nothing. Mm. They actually don't protect you. 
what does protect you, they've done studies where you do the face mask and the hand washing for the household contacts. And it's the hand washing that protects them, not the face masks. Now, the interesting thing is that now people are, are sewing their own cloth face masks. Yeah. And that's a whole other story. So there is a study that was done comparing medical face masks to the cloth face masks to no face masks at all. And this was in healthcare workers who are exposed to high intensity of virus all the time. It actually turns out that the cloth face masks increased the rate of infection. It turns out the cloth doesn't screen out the viruses. It gets humid with the water vapor from your breath. And it actually seems to act like a Petri dish and increase the risk of infection. And this is even though they were washing their cloth face masks almost every day. So there is actually evidence for not using cloth face masks. And the strongest evidence is for using medical um, face masks on the person who is sick, not in the people around them. The only exception to that rule is if you're a nurse and you're actually in a hospital looking after somebody who is symptomatic. At that point, somebody is in a room and shedding a lot of virus and it's a closed space. So the virus reaches a high density uh, in aerosol in, in the air. And so that's the only place where a face mask actually reduces infection to yourself. In the community or otherwise, there is no evidence that the face mask does anything. And in fact, there's a chance it may make things worse for you. Wow. So in reality, what we're seeing is treating the psychological pain <laughs> of the illness when we're wearing a face mask or when face masks are, are sort of the thing because people feel like they're doing something. It gives them a sense of peace or a sense of control that they don't otherwise have. Interesting. That's Very right. interesting. So keeping our infection rate low as we start to allow um, different parts of society to begin to function more normally, what then are the, the key things that we are going to need to keep doing, no matter what reopens and how many people can do this or do that? What are the key things moving forward until we get a, a vaccine? Um, what are we going to have to do? So the key things still stay the same. So the physical distancing um, is still really important because the thought is still that if somebody is sick or in the, you know, the couple of days before they show symptoms, then they will be um, putting out droplets. Right. Uh, and the droplets are big enough that they fall within the, the two meters, the six feet away from you. So the physical distancing is to stop uh, those droplets landing on you. But by far and away, the biggest risk of infection is by touching the surfaces and then touching your own face. Um, and in fact, one of the reasons um, the investigators thought that um, the face masks increased the risk of infection when we were talking before was that when you have a face mask on, you, you tend to touch your face even more to adjust it and you know, get it right. And so you end up touching your face even more. And because we know that the virus sits on surfaces for, for at least three days, sometimes up to six days, you still get viable virus. It's that is the most likely source of infection. So keeping our distance is important, but the biggest thing is washing our hands with gel or soap and hot water for 30 seconds 
Um, and then obviously the, the single biggest thing is that if you're sick, you don't go out. So if your kids are sick, keep them home, get them tested. If you're sick, stay home, get yourself tested. Um, don't just use Nerofin and, and keep going uh, because this is um, something that could put the rest of society at risk. Mm-hmm. So take, take symptoms seriously, uh, even though it might just feel like a flu. Um, stay home, get tested, uh, because it helps our public health uh, people find out what's happening. Um, and uh, yeah, stay home until you feel better. Uh, and, and the indications are that you shed virus for up to two weeks from when you uh, first got the signs. So that's how long you should isolate uh, for if you're, you're sick uh, with COVID. Interesting. Well, I think most people would agree with me to say that we, we actually have done an amazing job and our government has um, been really on the front foot listening to the scientific advice and I think we're, we are showing the fruits of that. And um, as long as we all keep listening to that advice and doing our part, we can, uh, we can ride this out and hopefully um, move back into what we knew once before in the coming months. So thanks for being here today, John, and um, filling us in from your wealth of knowledge. And, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to perhaps having you back on again in, uh, in a few months uh, after we've seen some more relaxation of, of restrictions and, and a closer return to normal. So we'll see you again. Oh, no. (laughs) I'll speak to you again next week. Um, Yeah, we'll be back next week with another podcast, another special guest. And uh, thanks for listening to us today, Granary Mums and Kids. Thanks for listening today. If you found this podcast helpful, why not subscribe or share it with someone you know? If you'd like help, advice or encouragement in parenting, please contact the Granary Church at granary.org.au.